Amen. I'm thrilled to be with you all. Um, it took quite a lot of timers on my phone and on my kitchen clock this morning to make sure that we actually got here. Because um, it's early, really, isn't it? <laughs> Comparison to the last 18 months. So I'll introduce myself. Um, my name is Cheryl. And when you get to the age that I am, it starts to sound a lot better if you um, say you've arrived at a certain level, like in a game. So uh, I've reached 5,443 in Candy Crush. And I've reached 50 in life. But I'm not quite as accomplished as my husband, who has reached 53. Um, I'm an ESFJ, if um, you know what that means, and I don't know what Enneagram I am because I can't work out how it works. I'm on the leadership team at City Church, and um, I'm paid real money. Well, it's kind of real money. It goes from their bank account into my bank account, and I use it to buy real things. Um, and I, my job title is the pastoral ministry lead. It was a job that I was offered... Um, and I didn't know I needed it, and I didn't know I wanted it. I'm part of a ministry in City Church called Sozo. I have a lot of issues with buying books. I'm under tall, and I love giving things away. I have OCD, that's over-catering disorder. I love cooking for people and gathering people, and my love language is words of encouragement. I have somewhat miraculously, not least because my own parents are divorced, been married to Pete for 26 years. And you can continue to pray for my husband. <laughs> I have six children, 23 years old, down to nine. Five arrived in a fairly normal manner, and one arrived coming via something called a special guardianship order. They've all been home educated. Um, although there's only one at home with teacher mom at the moment. I think it's actually an act of God that they're all still alive, never man mind managed to actually get some qualifications. And I am from the green, green grass in hills and valleys. I am from castles and dragons, from houses squeezed together, from having a clean front step. I am from playing in lanes and walking to school. I am from a family of blood and a family of faith from pain and scars, from love and comfort. I am from London town. I am from bustling beauty and the coming together of the nations, from friends that become family and from growth and stretching. I am from pain that grows oaks of righteousness. I am from splendor and majesty, from drowning in grace, from what if I fall to, oh, my dear, what if you fly? Before I actually speak, so that's just the preamble, <laughs> I met a week or so ago with uh, Graham for coffee. So if you've never had coffee with Graham, um, do ask him for one. It would be worth your time and your money if you pay. Somehow I said something like, the prophetic isn't always about something that you say. It can be how you live or the things that happen in your life, and it can even be about what you buy. But later that day, I'm in the range, which is full of things that I really don't need to buy. And I saw a couple of mugs, and um, immediately they stood out from the rest. So I bought them, because you should never ignore like random thoughts, because you can guarantee it's Jesus. In fact, the weirder it gets, the more likely it is it's Jesus, in my experience. Um, 
Okay, so, uh, so this is a mug, funnily enough, and it says something on it, which I've got my hands over. It's really bad grammar, Janet, so I apologize if you see this mug at any point. It's quite offensive in terms of grammar. Um, and when I saw it, I thought, you know, that should say, and Jesus, but the range haven't got with the sort of spiritual mug-giving thing yet, so that's actually probably prophetic in itself. And I bought it to give away to somebody. So who would like this mug? <laughs> Thank you, Simeon. Now, listen, I'm not taking this stuff home. So somebody, stop being boring. Put your hand up. Who wants the mug? Jan? Oh, not allowed to move. Am I allowed to move? I was afraid with my... There's, um, I've written something on a card in there to share with them. So now, like, we've got the hang of it, haven't we? We put our hand up and say we want it. Come on. Right. Another mug. The, the grammar's okay. <laughs> Who wants it? Becca wants it. I've written something in there which you can read and think maybe it's for you, maybe it's not for you. Um, this is something I made, and I was reminded of it when I was thinking about giving things away, and um, it's a little bottle, and um, it has a verse in it, and it's, uh, it's Psalm 56, verse 8, and it says, God has kept all my tears in a bottle, the psalmist's tears in a bottle. Um, would anybody like it? Uh, Going to make screechy noises if I go too far. And Isaiah 61. Last gift of the day. Um, it's quite flowery and it's a cushion. I'm not going to say certain people might not like it, but if you would like it, it's for you. Who wants it? Come on, I don't want to take it home. Please. Whew. Thankful. <laughs> It's not because I actually have one at home, so I could have taken it home. Sorry? Oh, did you? Okay. Sorry. It's spot the person. Sorry. Oh, right. That's done. So now we can do the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Oh. So today I'm going to be reading Matthew 16, verse 21 to 27. A little snapshot of, well the preamble to me talking. So first four chapters of Matthew uh, about Jesus' genealogy, so who his mum and dad were, who his family were, going back a long time. His birth, the escape to Egypt, baptism, temptation, and then he starts to preach. Um, chapters 5 to 15, Jesus is teaching, performing miracles, healing people, uh, showing power over nature, raising the dead, ordinary things like that. He's um, discipling, sharing weird stories, um, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then we get to the passage in Matthew. And it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I always think that's a bit harsh. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't, do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save my life, save their life, will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Uh, can somebody in my row get me a water bottle which is in my bag somewhere around their feet? Thank you. We're all scrabbling. I'm sure it's there. No? Yeah? Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Meg. Thank you. After this, there's more teaching, miracles. That was loud. Um, uh, discipling, sharing more weird stories until we get to the accounts around the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I've been asked to speak on one verse. Take up your cross and follow me. A very long time ago, in August 1989, I sat on a bed in the halls of residence and had a fairly one-sided conversation with Jesus. So here I am, adult in Jesus, independent and far from home. If I don't follow you, I can probably keep it a secret from my family for a while to avoid some flack. Do I really want to bother following you? Or shall I see what's on offer away? Do I really want to deny myself? And do I really want to live doing what you want? Dying to yourself doesn't sound very uh, fulfilling. There's not an almighty noise from heaven at this point. And then I have a bit of a funny realization that I'm talking to somebody about whether or not I'm going to follow them. Kind of, do you believe in the person that you're talking to, which is a bit weird. So then I decide, yep, okay. I am going to give following Jesus a go. And I say to him, but there's got to be more than I have seen. There's got to be more than I've known or experienced. There's got to be more to life with you. Our culture of do what makes you happy is pretty toxic to followers of Jesus. We are actually not called to do what makes us happy. We are called to live for him. We are called to do what glorifies God, and following Jesus is definitely not, not always happiness and sunshine. It's often, I was going to say sometimes, but often there are things that are hard work and take dedication. But we're doing those things to a God who knows what's best for us and what will give us life. He says, do this. I say, I don't want to do that. He says, well, you signed up for denying yourself. But also, he says, I came to give you life and life in abundance or to the full. Um, and he says that in John chapter 10, verse 10. I say, I want to do this. He says, 
don't do it. It'll really hurt. I say, I want to do it my way. He says, there's a whole Bible of stories showing you how that's going to end. But Jesus doesn't actually ask you anything that he hasn't done himself. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, um, before he's arrested and crucified, he says, Father God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus actually literally denies himself and he takes up his cross to death and follows God. But what does his death lead to? To quote a song, it's the greatest day in history. Death is beaten. I am rescued. Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, Jesus has won the day. Our own death to self leads to resurrection with him. And I don't mean it just leads to life after death or the kind of strange, unusual shenanigans in Revelation and elsewhere in the Bible. I actually think that it's a lifetime of resurrections. It's a lifetime of washing away our sins, a lifetime of joy and peace, a lifetime of breaking chains. And we don't actually have to wait for all those things until we die. Nicky Gumbel says this about idols, which I think can be said about almost anything in life, even what most people call a good life. At first, they offer you everything and ask of you nothing. But in the end, they cost you everything and, cost, and give you nothing. And Jesus is completely the opposite. His gifts are free. He gives us everything. We may have to pay a price for being known as a follower of him, we might even face opposition. But the cost we pay is nothing compared to the cost that he paid. He died on a cross and took our sins and offered us forgiveness. When I was younger, I thought that the hardest thing that I could ever be asked to do, excuse me while I make another noise, would be to go anywhere in the world for him. I had friends who had become like my family, and um, I couldn't imagine living my life far away from them. I've actually done that, and it wasn't actually the hardest thing. And your hardest thing isn't likely to be what my hardest thing is, because Jesus really likes to keep it personal. There'll be individual asks, and then there are things in the Bible that God asks of all of us. I do know now that God never gives us less than we hand over to him. Those things that we're asked to do and not to do in the Bible, they can be oh so very hard. Especially, but not exclusively, when our current culture says they're outdated or irrelevant. In John chapter 1, John, funnily enough, says that grace and truth came to us through Jesus. And we don't want grace without truth. And we don't want truth without grace. But truth is not truth without the grace, and grace is not grace without the truth. We have to find the difficult line between the two, and the devil isn't really bothered which one we serve, swerve towards. But we have to keep being like Jesus and trying to keep the tension between those two things. A guy called Carey Newolf, um, who's a pastor in the States, um, he says, grace has a backbone. We nailed it to the cross. 
I think consistently the hardest thing to do when following Jesus is keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on and keeping on loving people with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking and always forever love. Fastly uh, followed by not judging. When you think you've nailed it, you'll be in a new situation where you need to keep your love on towards another member of the human race. The hardest times for me haven't really been so much as when a person has done something that I don't like or I don't agree with, but something that violates a core value that I have. And we've all got those core values. I've learned that it is the hardest thing to do, but it is the best thing to do. And I keep on trying uh, whilst failing and stumbling. And those situations, situations where I am tempted to remove my love and I get this sense of God raising his eyebrow at me. There was a meme or something on Facebook once where somebody said in the caption, I don't know why all these mums scream at their children and probably dads too, because when my mum... When I was little, my mom just used to have to raise her eyebrow at me and I knew I was in trouble. My kids say that I have this magic power as well, which I'm not sure whether I'm pleased about or not pleased about. But God definitely has this way of raising his eyebrow at me, Cheryl, and I know that he's doing that. I don't even actually need to look towards him, I can tell. I keep on going and I keep on reaching out. Um, not necessarily straight away, actually. Sometimes it takes a while for me to get myself into gear. And I pursue people. I pursue love because that's exactly what God has done for me. What would I say to that young adult sitting on a bed way back in 1989? Apart from moisturize <laughs> and take better care of your teeth. I would say that it's worth it. And I would say he is worth it. Uh, Jim Elliot said, who was killed when a long time ago, even before I was born, which is a really long time ago, um, he was killed, he went to share with a group of people uh, Jesus, good news of Jesus with the indigenous Indians of Ecuador. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So having listened to me for maybe 10 minutes, I don't think there's much more than that, uh, can you all stand up and turn around three times, but only if you can do it without falling over? So some of you will be wondering if it's a weird cult thing that we do every week at Seizure. <laughs> Actually, it's more to um, help those of you who are nodding off reawaken. And if you have some death of blood flow to bits of your body to um, bring them life again. Right, tell the person next door to you what your favorite animal is. I'll tell you mine. Well, I'll tell you two. One of mine is a duck-billed platypus, and the other one is a narwhal. Right, tell the person next to you. 
Right, next ice cream flavor. When you get to heaven, Jesus says you can eat all that ice cream without putting on any weight. Which ice cream flavor are you going to ask for? My favorite ice cream flavors probably got too much cream in it and some sort of caramel. So, what's next? Um, here at City Church, we like to pray for people and we love to introduce people to Jesus and we love to see people uh, find freedom in Jesus. Um, so, today, if there is anybody here who has never really said yes to Jesus, then we would love to pray for you. Next, if there is a nagging voice in your head and it's saying, uh, by the way, it isn't Jesus, that you've blown it and that Jesus, you can't follow Jesus because of the things that you've done, um, we'd like to pray for you. It says in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If any of the Trinity is raising an eyebrow at you, and you know that, and I don't know what it is, and you'd like prayer, we'd like to pray for you. And maybe you've become a bit ambivalent towards Jesus. And actually, maybe recently you haven't thought to ask Jesus about anything, not about him or about your life. And you'd like some prayer. I'd like to pray for you. So that's quite a lot of prayer, isn't it? So I would love to pray for you, or I will find somebody else to pray for you. So that means you can come out the front if you would like to. If you think, boy, Mike, I don't think I want to do that. That's all right. You can ask people around you to pray for you, and you can even ask somebody across the room to pray for you, but you are actually going to need to get up and go and speak to them because you can't shout across the hall. If you're just feeling like, oh, my days, I can't do any of that, you can do it at home too. Sometimes we feel like we've got to do it in the moment or that moment's gone forever. But Jesus' moments, well, I like the fact that Jesus is outside of time, so... You can't really miss that moment because he's always there anyway. But I think sometimes it's helpful to have someone with you when you feel that you need some sort of prayer. Um, if you would like to come up the front and pray, that will be fabulous. Uh, if you don't want to, that's also fine. And um, while I do that, if there is anybody, um, we do have some questions uh, for you to think through. Uh, they're up. Yeah, so the first one's nice and light and fluffy. Hopefully not too intense. What good thing has happened in your life this week? Now, like, don't get over-spiritual. We sometimes feel like when we're in the church service that we've got to say something about Jesus. Well, it can be that you've discovered your new ice cream flavor. It doesn't have to be, you know, I think personally Jesus is in all ice cream flavors, so I don't think it's separated from Jesus. And then what we do when we've done light and fluffy is plunge like a submarine and go, is God putting his finger on anything in your life? And what are you going to do about it? 
It doesn't mean that you have to tell them what you're going to do about it now, but maybe you like to tell the people around you what the next thing you're going to do. Sometimes I think we can get stuck in a bit of a, oh, my days, we've got to find, a, you know, we've got to plan the whole thing out. But sometimes we just need to decide what the next thing we're going to do is. So this is the point where you can get up and talk to people across the room. You can talk to somebody next to you. You can think, oh, my days, I'm super embarrassed, and I don't want to do this, and I'm going to go to the loo now. But I just would encourage you to take this moment. Sometimes vulnerability begets vulnerability, and it can be the start of something really precious in our own life when we share from our hearts and when other people share and um, share with us. It's a privilege to hear the vulnerability of people's hearts. So go, speak to someone next to you, speak to someone across the room, get in. You can move all the chairs because we've got to move all the chairs at the end anyway. And if you want prayer, you can ask someone next to you, someone across the room or me.